Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Jonathan Northcroft. Jonathan, good to have you with us today. How are you? How was your trip to Brighton? Uh, Saturday was a good day in terms of, uh, it was great to be back at a football match. I thought the um, all the sort of protocols and things worked far better than I could have imagined. It was, it, was, it was brilliant seeing some football. It was a good game. The bit that I really haven't missed about this job and I had to confront again with sitting on a motorway um so oh yeah reunited with the m1 and that wasn't a happy reunion but apart from that football was great nice to be back in a stadium and it was a or even a wee story to write about yeah what did you make of all of that what happened then in that game well i mean i think arsenal sometimes just the modern arsenal just going to self-parody sometimes and i think that game was an example where uh, you know i'm not the first to observe it but the kind of the lack of backbone um, shown by certain players in failing to close out that game that was there for the taking. They played well. They were um, Brighton were good, but I thought you know Arsenal was sort of slightly better and they went one nil up. But the lack of kind of fibre to see out that game, um, the lack of kind of resolve that contrasted with full time when they'd lost the game and they all wanted to have a have a go at uh, Mope and, and suddenly everybody found their kind of fighting spirit again and, and, and Gwen Doozy was um, the ultimate example of that. Um, I, I feel I really feel for Arsenal fans. I've got a few friends who support them and, and it's just grim for them. They, they see the same thing repeated all over again and it was they've been there before. It was a ridiculous defeat and, and another kind of time when the rest of the country's kind of laughing at Arsenal a bit. And I, 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 I just, I'd like to see a better Arsenal. I think it'd be it'd be great, just great for the league generally if they could get their act together somehow. Mm, yeah, it seems as though it's a case of same old, same old for Arsenal at the moment. That is for sure. Gregor, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm in the same sort of theme. I'm just struggling to catch my breath after having a bit of a rant about Arsenal needing to empty all their team, and then they sign David Luiz in a new contract. Huh. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just mind-boggling stuff, but let's probably park Arsenal to one side. I'm well, how are yes. you? <laughs> yes, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Um, we obviously have to just remark on, on the great escape that isn't quite happening at the moment for Norwich. Uh, a second defeat in a row for them uh, since the restart. It's, it's, what, their third defeat in a row if you go back to the, the game in March to Sheffield United as well. Are you still confident that they're going to stay up, Gregor? <laughs> Confident wouldn't be the right word now, no. But uh, <laughs> they're still they are still six points uh, yeah. from from catching the teams above them. You know, th- they've all been equally as bad, really. These teams in the relegation zone. So um, that's get, I mean, obviously the games are ticking off, and uh, it's looking very tough for them now. But uh, ask me again. That's going to be my stock answer now. Ask me next week. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. We've got it all covered for you today. Looking back on a busy midweek programme in the Premier League ahead of a busy weekend, including all four FA Cup quarterfinals and an important discussion on homosexuality in football. Why don't we have an openly gay Premier League footballer? More on this later after this. Now, on Wednesday night at Old Trafford, Anthony Martial scored a hat-trick in an emphatic 3-0 win for Manchester United against fellow top four challengers, Sheffield United. It puts the Frenchman on 19 goals for the season, level with Marcus Rashford as United's top marksman. But just how good was Anthony Martial, Jonathan? Oh, I mean, when he plays like that, he really looks like 
you know, one of the one of the top number nines in, in world football. He looks like the kind of player Manchester United should have in the in the ranks, and he looks like the talent that <clears throat> cost so much money when United um, kind of took a big, big um, gamble, I suppose, to, to bring him for a fee like that from from Monaco. But other clubs really wanted him, and and he looked like that sort of sought after um, talent. And um, he's got a great combination of of, of of a first touch, fantastic first touch in the box, composing the box. I've, I've long thought that he's one of the best finishers, like bar none, in the Premier League. And of course, he's got the pace, he's got the movement. When you watch him like that, you think, why aren't you scoring 30 goals a season? Um, mm-hmm. And that is the anti martial conundrum. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the answers might be he hasn't had a good enough team around him or the right players around him. I think he's got the right players around him now. He's a wonderful player to watch when he does that. And they were, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very good hat trick. Indeed, you mentioned the fee. He, he joined from Monaco at 19 for over £30 million, rising to over £50 million. Gregor, can Manchester United win a title with him as their main frontman? When you see him in the form that he was in at Old Trafford against Sheffield United, can he be the game changer? That's the kind of million-dollar question. I think... I think um... You know, it, th- there are bigger issues actually than than whether he's the striker who can kind of fire Manchester United, Manchester United to the title. Um, you know, they, they beat, he has a turns in performance like that. They beat Sheffield United, who were below par and and had a number of players out injured. Um, and obviously, yes, there's going to be talking. He's he's he's. I think he's got his best goal return, 19 for the season. I think now it's the best goal return for United. Um, and he's and as Johnny said, he's been in in a at Manchester United in a team, and a time that has been in flux. You know, Van Hal almost. I think he I think he once said that I was, I was kind of signing him for the next Manchester United manager, because because mm. as we say, we forget he's very he was he was nineteen when he first arrived, and then he had a terrible time with Jose Mourinho, who we wanted to sell him, and the club stood firm. Um, so you know he's coming into the age where it's he should be in his prime. I still think. There are question marks whether he's someone who can do it in the biggest games against the best opposition. Um, I think he is definitely best through the middle. You know, he's still playing most of his games on the wing for United, so that's one of the reasons why he's not scored 30 goals a season. Um, I still think there's definitely question marks about that, but there's question marks about a lot of things in Manchester United still. Huh. And it certainly seems as though you're questioning the team that they were playing last night. Bear in mind the injuries, the suspension, the the ineligible player. So, are we making more of this than than needs to be made, Gregor? Well, well, no, because he he has had a good season and he has, you know, Solskjaer has put some faith in him through the middle, particularly after Rashford sort of decided to be better off in the wing, uh, and and he's got a bit of competition with a Gallo there now. Uh, and and if you look at the the players around them now that players are fit now Pogba's back now Fernand, uh, Fernandez has arrived Mason Greenwood looks like he's been hitting the gym in the last few months uh, and he's a real prospect so if you look at that kind of front five that's that's a that's a potent attack and so if he's yeah. got those players around him he's going to have better chances and he's going to score more goals. Well, he is 24 now, Jonathan. He's he scored 67 goals and 210 appearances for Manchester United. 
in some ways, when he did join at 19 for that big fee, as we've already mentioned, do you think we actually expected too much from him at such a young age? And it's only now that we are going to start getting maybe the fruits of his labour. Yeah, I think there's a case for that because we, I think we, I, I think we treat foreign players differently to homegrown players when they're young in particular. So someone like Anthony Martial's about 15, 16 months older than Dominic Calvert-Lewin, something like that. Um, right. And you look at Calvert-Lewin uh, and say, well, he's still a young player, he's emerging, you know. He's, he's about less than two years older than Tammy Abraham. Again, you'd say, oh, well, he's a young striker finding his way. Andy Martial, because he costs so much, has been judged as a top player. As a, he's been judged as, a, as if he should be a finished article almost since he arrived. And, you know, he's had to, um, as well as doing the things that young players have to do when they're trying to learn the, the, the ropes and, and, and acclimatise to the Premier League, he's had to acclimatise to a new country. So I do think there's been too high an expectation on him, of course. Um, I think what's interesting about how he operates is that he is a player that, uh, that thrives in combinations. I think the best period he had of his career until May recently was um, when Van Gaal had that, that, that forward line of him, um, Ashford and, and, and Jesse Lingard, and they were sparking off each other and they were, they were playing really well together. You can see how much he enjoys playing with, with a Paul Pogba, with, 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 with Rashford, mm. um, with, with Bruno. I think I, 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 one thing about him is he, he, he seems to be a fairly kind of introverted character and I think because of that maybe um, his personality is, is more of a team player maybe than a, 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 a kind of you know Zlatan type who, who I can be the main striker and I'll just I'll just lead the line and all that kind of stuff so I, I do think we've got to look at the factors that maybe made him inconsistent one's youth one's probably personality um, uh, but he's age 24 now he has got great players around him now that, that, that he can play in combination with and he is in his right position, which is through the middle. I mean, Mourinho used him as an auxiliary fullback at certain points, but you know, so so it's all there for now. It's all there, and he's he's got the right manager as well, who's going to believe in him and coach him in the art. So you know, there's there's no, there's no hiding place now. But he is capable of delivering. He is capable of being that top striker. Hmm. You mentioned there the manager, Gregor. Do you think that will benefit him that Solskjaer, a former striker, is his boss, so can work on his game? In that respect, does that not really work out that way? Because we think about former manager, former players turning into managers, and they can bring the skills from the pitch out onto the, the managerial front. But does that actually work? Does that happen? I mean, I think probably more so in the, in terms of a kind of a little word in his ear, uh, or maybe showing him a a bit of video analysis and 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 describing how he made movements as a player and things like that. But Solskjaer was just an absolute poacher, a natural out-and-out goal scorer. He just knew, he sniffed out chances and the place to be, and he, and he found the back of the net. I don't think, you know, as as good a finisher as Martial is, he's not that type of player. He's not an Aguero. He's not a Harry Kane. He's something in between that. And it's, and going back to what Johnny said, he, he's not, he's not a, a, as he said, he's not like a Zlatan. So it is hard to see him being the guy who's going to take it upon himself because of his personality to be the kind of main guy. But at the same time, I, I don't think he really is a team player either because when you saw him, mm. saw someone like Mourinho asking him to do a job, he really didn't seem keen to do it. So, you know, there is... Uh, Johnny said the word at the start of conundrum and that's the thing that's always been there with him and he's, you know, he's showing signs that um, 
that he's kind of growing and maturing, and he's and he's having a bit of faith put in him as well, and the team around him has improved. So I, I very much hope because he's he he is an outstanding player uh, when he's at his best, and I very much hope he's we're going to see the best of him now. With Pogba, seemingly with the restart, looking like he's getting back to his best with the addition of Bruno Fernandez, they were worked so well in tandem in that game against Sheffield United. Do you see, Jonathan, Solskjaer is building something promising at Manchester United? When you add in Marcus Rashford, you add in Anthony Martial. Are you excited by the prospect of maybe an emerging Man United once again? Yeah, I've been, I suppose, a defender or a supporter or whatever you want to say of of Solskjaer from the start because I, I you know, I knew him a little bit as a player. I know how intelligent and determined he is, and I know that he has got a vision for Manchester United. And I think you can see it starting to come together. I mean, if you just look at uh, the fruits of his, his his first transfer window, you can see what Harry Maguire's added. You can see that Juan Bissaka has developed as a player over the. I mean, I think when you're trying to evaluate coaches, you look, you try to look at how pe- how people develop under them. Do they get better? Mabasak has definitely got better. He's learnt the attacking side of the game to add to that great defensive qualities he's got. And then look at the team's evolution and the building blocks being put in place. Fernandes, it's almost inexplicable how big an effect he's had, but he has had a, he's been a catalyst for, for whatever reason. And he's a good player, of course, but he's just been that little thing that's gone in the mix that's given Manchester United a bit of swagger back. Um, yeah. And then you see Pogba playing with him. Um, this is a period, and particularly with the weather as it is, where keeping possession is very important. And the foundation they had midfield with Pogba, with Fernandez and Matic behind them. Gave, I mean, United's midfield has been a headache for many, many years, and that's that's probably the best I've seen them move the ball and keep the ball against decent opposition um, for a long, long time. So you can see all that, and then ahead of them, the the the, the pace. Um, on the break, they're still a little bit short. You can see how good, how, how you know, how higher level perhaps Liverpool and Manchester City are. But um, you know, Wayne Rooney was saying in his column last last week that he thought United were the likeliest to to be the next challengers, and and I kind of agree with that. Um, you know, I can make cases for for Leicester and Chelsea, but I think if I was putting money anywhere, um, I do think United or make, you know, I don't think they'll be challenging for the league next year, but I think they'll start making inroads in that 30-odd point distance between them and, and, and the top. Mm. I'm sure you're both aware of the stat, but incredibly, Martial became the first United player to score a Premier League hat-trick in more than seven years. When I saw that stat, I was quite surprised by it, I have to say. Uh, Robin Van Persie was the last man to do it in a 3-0 home win over Aston Villa on April the 22nd, 2013, when Sir Alex Ferguson was still in charge. So since then, 76 Premier League hat-tricks have been scored, including 11 to Sergio Aguero alone. But obviously, it's been such a long time that the Manchester United player has scored three goals in one game. Gregor, what... I mean, did that surprise you when you heard that stat, first of all? Like, it surprised me. And what do you put that down to? What, what's been the issue for them not having someone capable of scoring three in a game that you'd expect? Well, I think it's just it's been the, the recruitment, really. I think, you know, they've lost... In the time that people like Zlatan have come and gone, uh, Wayne Rooney's left... Um, you know they've they've not really replaced them with a high caliber striker, and that's 
that's shown in their results and in their in in their position in the league table. You know, they're they're still they're still not scoring a lot of goals. Spurs mm. have scored more goals in the season, and you know I think Liverpool and City have scored twenty two and twenty eight more this season, and that's been the case for they, they they are free scoring football teams. That's I think that's since since Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola came into the Premier League, and since they really got the, those teams sort of. Uh, firing on all all cylinders, that is what has changed in the Premier League. You need to you need to score a heck of a lot of goals to 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 compete at the top, and I still think Man United are a long way short of that. Do you agree with that then, Jonathan? As well, that that lack of free scoring has been a huge issue for Manchester United. I do. Um, I mean, I think you know you need probably two or three players who are capable of scoring hat tricks um, because it, the game, as Gregor said, has become. Very offensive, and, and, and the top teams are sort of setting huge marks for, for goal scoring. But <clears throat> I think, as much as the personnel, the, the forwards, it's, it has been something I touched on, which has just been the, the lack of a foothold that the midfield gets United in games, a lack of creativity coming from there. I mean, someone like Zlatan would have been, or Lukaku, these are both players who can score hat tricks. We've seen, we've seen them throughout their careers do that. So, as much as the individual players and the recruitment, it's, it, it, it's been, I think, a fundamental failure of the team. The team's just not been good enough behind them, um, behind the front players, particularly in midfield, and it is that um, combination of, of Bruno um, and, and maybe Pogba um, that starts to open up the possibility of, of, of enough, creating enough chances um, for, for, for United to score a number of goals in the... I, I don't remember many Many games, many United games, where you know they, they've <clears throat> absolutely battered teams. Somebody's missed three or four good chances. You know, United could have scored ten or whatever. It hasn't been that this period in their history hasn't really been like that. They've had to grind most of the time, and they've had to grind because as a team they haven't quite been good enough. They haven't quite had enough talent, particularly in midfield, but it's it's coming. Now, a British former footballer has become only the second male professional player from the UK to come out as gay. 33-year-old Thomas Beattie said it took a long time for him to accept who he is and he didn't feel comfortable coming out during his playing days. The former midfielder from Yorkshire played for Hull City's youth team before playing professionally for more than a decade in the US, Canada and Singapore. Beattie has announced he's gay 30 years after British footballer Justin Fashnu became the first openly gay player in 1990. He is only the fourth male footballer after Fashnu, Thomas Hitzelsberger and Robbie Rogers to come out publicly after playing in England. Well, Beattie wrote in an Instagram post this, it's time to share something very personal to me. It's easier to sit in silence, but the real challenge is to speak up. For me, it's time to live my truth and hopefully affect change in some way. I am a brother, son, friend, and I'm gay. Jonathan, are we surprised that in 2020 we still don't have an openly gay footballer? Very surprised. Um, it's, um, it, it's it's such a difficult subject to kind of to kind of analyse because I mean I'm, I'm, sure, I'm looking forward to to Gregor's thoughts because he's sat in football dress rooms and so on. And I can only say from the media mm. point of view that um, of course, look, of course. The, the, there will be a number of gay footballers who who haven't who just haven't come out, and I, I don't necessarily speculate about you know other people's um, fears or, or, or reasons or personal you know, choices in, in, in those terms. But I would imagine a weariness of how it would be received is going to be a 
a part of that thinking and there'll be a weariness of how it would be received within football professions and clubs and a weariness of how it would be received in, in, in the press. Now, I think from a press point of view, um, we, we'd be absolutely open to it. I think the reporting uh, and the writing about um, somebody coming out would, would be very positive and very supportive and probably quite relieved, to be, to be honest. Um, so I, I, I don't think that should be a factor. I guess the other factor, apart from within football clubs, might be um, supporters and and supporters on social media and, and so on. Now that's that's a that's a a big territory, and, and maybe maybe that's something. But I mean, you know, all I can say from a media point of view that, 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 that you know, I think in in twenty twenty, it's something that would be would would, would be embraced and and, and welcomed. Mm. And and I I really hope that it, there, there aren't. Football are suffering in silence, as it were, feeling that they, they, they would love to be able to, to come out and just can't. I, I, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a sad thought if that's the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. The one word that, that stood out for me when you were talking there is that wariness. And, and Gregor, as Jonathan mentioned, you'll know what it's like in dressing rooms. Do you think they have become more accepting at this idea that there, there may well be a, a teammate who is gay? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in the time that I played, so we're talking 20 years ago, uh, and then I finished playing four years ago. So in that kind of 15 years, it was there was a big transformation, a big change in sort of attitudes within change rooms. I would imagine that in the time I've been out of the game, that'll have progressed further. So undoubtedly, teammates would be far more accepting than... 15 years ago. But that does not take away from the fact that it would be very brave. An environment is still one where there's a lot of bravado and it's quite ruthless and people, players still look for any kind of perceived weakness uh, and they pass it off as banter. So it's kind of, I think, you know, I, I think it would be uh, players, a player who came out would be would have to be ready to accept quite a lot of what players would call banter, but banter is something that's sort of in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. Uh, and but that's off. But the thing is, it's not. You know, that wouldn't be. I think that that's just the way that footballers and and men talk about things that are a wee bit, you know, a wee bit awkward, uncomfortable about. Um, so you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be done to to hurt the mm-hmm. hurt the person, but it would absolutely happen. And so it's still, I think that knowledge, because some, whoever is, whoever is, who would be kind of thinking about making this decision, they would know that they would have been in a changing room and they will know the environment and what the mm. kind of atmosphere is like and how kind of ruthless it can be. And that, that would undoubtedly affect the decision. Otherwise, or it would have to be a, a, a large character or someone very brave, willing to kind of put that to one side. And, and step out. The one thing I would say is that I think there would also be a sort of contradiction in that it would be something, I think that if supporters, so an opponent on, the, on a Saturday, say, or, a po- or supporters in the stands were in any way critical of, of your teammate, the, your player, the teammates would be fiercely, fiercely protective of them. So it's that, that kind of, there's a slight kind of paradox in that. It's like, yeah. you know, they, they would use humour to to get past it. And to kind of to talk about it, uh, 
and for it not to be something that was slightly taboo in the changing room. Uh, but at the same time, I think because a team is sort of a, a, a very powerful collective, and and you're someone you, it's a group of players that you're you spend a lot of time with day in day out. They would also be very protective of them at the same time. Well, in a statement, Thomas Beattie further said, it took me a long time to accept who I am and I hope it is a little easier for the next generation. I never thought about coming out whilst playing. I literally felt like I had to sacrifice one of the two, who I am or the sport I loved before I could remember. I used football, he says, as a form of escapism and in many ways it saved me until I reached the point in life where there was some personal growth. I was standing still on that front. Society told me masculinity is linked to sexuality and so being an athlete playing a physical sport felt like a huge contradiction. The Watford captain Troy Deeney has said that he believes there is probably one gay player in every football team. It's been a, a long discussion point on whether or not somebody should should come out. It's It will be a very difficult decision, I'm sure, for whoever, if anyone ever decides to do it. But do you think, Jonathan, it will take more than one footballer coming out at once for it to happen? I guess one way of, of, of taking the burden off um, an individual having to be the, the sort of the, the flag bearer or whatever, to the, 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 the one that had to come out and, and then um, deal with the reaction would, would be for, um, you know, three, four, five gay footballers to, to I suppose, come out at, at the same time. I, I feel sad we're having to kind of, you know, no. try and put ourselves in the mindset of, of, of how it can be made better for um, any gay person who needs to come out because it's, 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 it's horrendous to even think that it's a, it's a thing in this day and age. But um, yeah. I, think, I think whoever did, if, if one player came out, it would be, as, as Gregor said, it would have to be somebody that, that would, would be able to um, have a good enough support and broad enough shoulders to, to deal with um, all of it. You know, the, the positive as well as the negative would be a huge amount of attention on them. You know, and, and a lot of it would be positive, but it would still be an enormous glare of, of publicity and, and there would be negatives as well. And we know there's homophobia in football. We know that um, you know there's a lot of work to be done to educate um, people in the terraces. If you look at some of the, the chants that, that still go on and, and, and you know, club like Brighton have had to, to try and deal with it and, and campaign against it. For example, um, I wonder, I do wonder, you know, I'm fascinated listening to Gregor about the, 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 the the dressing room reaction. I wonder if it might be a generational thing. Whether um, there's, there might be a barrier with kind of older coaches, maybe not necessarily like talking managers and so on at the top level, but on the way up that that that, that um, might might have discouraged um, players from from coming out. But I do think if 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 one then it would um, lead to I'd hope a sigh of relief and and others being able to to come out and, and, and the situation went very quickly wasn't a thing at all. And you didn't, you know, I mean, ideally players wouldn't even have to come out because why should, you know, why should anyone publicize what Absolutely. their sexuality is really, you know? Yeah. So that's um... where we need to get to. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is no need for anyone to do it if they don't wish to. Uh, and uh, it is a very difficult situation. I'm sure for anybody going through, through this this Gregor. Um, we have seen in cricket, Simon Somerset, Stephen Davis has come out, uh, Nicola Adams in boxing as well. But there just seems to be this stigma about football and, and someone not being able to do that. Um, does it disappoint you when you 
when you hear that, that there is this suggestion that it, there is a stigma f- to football and, and football fans say. Of course it's disappointing, but I mean, it, the line in the, the line in the, in the, Thomas Beattie's statement that kind of leapt out to me was when he, when he said, society told me masculinity is linked to sexuality. And so being an athlete felt like a huge contradiction to that. Mm. And I still, you know, I think that's still underlying the kind of some attitudes. I think that's, that's the truth of the matter. And I also think, I don't think what Troy Deeney said is particularly helpful. That kind of reminded me of being in dress rooms throughout my entire career. And people would say that and it would be a joke. And then you would see people's eyes flashing around the changing room trying to pick out who it might be. So that was like, that's quite an oppressive atmosphere to, <laughs> for anyone who, who, who is gay and you know, that's it's almost like, you know, you're trying to hunt someone out. That's the kind of that's the kind of attitude it's been like in change rooms over the years. And I'm not saying that's like that now, but that kind of, I think I don't think that's particularly helpful what Deanie said. Um, mm, mm. But I I don't know. I, I think you know, football is not cricket, and boxing an individual sport, so it's a different dynamic altogether. Uh, and I, I I honestly don't think it will be it will be long before someone, an active footballer. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now, this weekend is nothing short of a fiesta of football. From Friday nights when the mighty Brentford, of course they're mighty, host top of the championship West Brom, as well as more Premier League action and all four FA Cup quarterfinals. I'm going to ask the panel for their pick of the games from the weekend in a moment. But mine, of course, has to be Friday's game with West Brom as the championship promotion race hots up. The Baggies and Leeds are seven points clear of third place Fulham with Brentford just a point behind in fourth. Gregor, will anyone catch Leeds and West Brom? I uh, I think there's still possibly a twist in the tail, yes. I think... Really? And I think it could be. I think if it's going to be anyone, it's your lot. So, <gasps> what? Well, having said that, <sighs> having said, having said that, I mean, it might need Fulham to to do you a favour by at least take you know taking a point yes. uh, against Leeds. So, but you know, I, I was, it was a, it was a, I was obviously at the game between uh, Brentford and and Fulham at the weekend, and both teams played well. But I think. I think Brentford looked pretty solid at the back, and I think you've always got you've got one of the the most kind of potent front threes in the in the division. So, and I think as well that like, you know Pontus Janssen came back from injury during the break. Uh, you kind of got into a bit of a rut of of a lot of draws. I know you you won five yes. nil just before the break, but there'd been a lot of draws, and you kind of thrown away points, and it was looking like after the cup games and stuff, you were maybe starting to tire a little bit. So. I, I I wrote in my match report. I think maybe of all the championship teams, you were best kind of placed after the to benefited from the break. So I still think there's a chance. Oh my goodness! I'm not sure I'll be able to cope <laughs> then with this run. And Jonathan, when you look at the championship, then does it excite you this this race for promotion? 
Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, leaving aside the the the, 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 the sort of top three or four spots, look, just look at what's happening just below that sixth playoff place. There's um, there's a number of teams that are, are kind of vying now. Um, Cardiff had a you know big big um, step with that that result, um, and now now right on 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 Preston. Um, but you look at you look at Blackburn, uh, you know, you know, you look at even as far down as Derby. Um, just that, just getting that into that 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 sixth spot is an unbelievable race. And then, um, yeah, I, I you know I don't want to you know back up Gregor and get you too excited, Nat, but I, I I get exactly what he's saying because I think we've already seen this period in in the Premier League that it's teams that are really well coached and that are technical and play good football that are thriving, and, and Brentford do that. You're the top scorers in the division, best goal difference, um, and. We we know we know Leeds are capable um, of wobbling at this point of the season. So um, maybe maybe I'd, I'd still put my money on the top two, but but I'd agree with Gregor if, if in the if, if somebody's going to do it, and I, I don't don't quite think it'll be Fulham. I think you know Brent, Brentford would be the the outside bet. Well, I've been speaking to Leeds' Stuart Dallas this week and he claims the team love the idea of fans not wanting Leeds to get promoted and, of course, bottle it again. Gregor, do you think negative press and pressure galvanise a squad? I mean, it can, it can create a siege mentality, but um, I think Stuart Dallas would say that. and I think uh, he would much prefer that there wasn't a bottle it tag that they had to kind of overcome because that's something that they've done in the past. So as much as it's true that, you know, you think we're battling against the odds and no one wants, no one, no one likes us, we're Leeds. And, uh, you know, everyone sings Leeds are falling apart of away games, although luckily they don't have to put up with that now. Um, <laughs> yeah, they would rather it wasn't there. Uh, and they would rather they were kind of, have had a bit more of a tranquil path towards, uh, towards the Premier League. So, I mean, that's true and it's true, but at the same time, um, I think he would say that, um, and Leeds obviously did not did not really impress in the in the first game, and that they were they were errors. I think they are error prone at the back, uh, particularly Calvin Phillips was a bit more uncharacteristic with his error, uh, but Liam Cooper is is known to known to have a wreck in him, and and he did so against Derby last season in the playoffs. So um, yeah, the pressure is still on them, even though even though there's you know, there's not the same kind of atmosphere in the stand and the same weight of expectation at Ellen Road every week. Uh, it is a good seven-point cushion that, that Leeds and West Brom have right now, Gregor. Just to ask you then, do you think it's better to be the chased team or part of the chasing pack? I mean, undoubtedly the chased team. You want the points on the mm. board and uh, Leeds have that. As you say, it's still a good cushion. Um and you know one one good result, one good result, one sort of emphatic result, and particularly as it's as they're playing Fulham, and that that would almost see off, you know, one of the two two teams who are who've got half a chance of of catching them. That would be enormous for them. So, um, yeah, undoubtedly, you still want to be in West Brom or, or Leeds shoes. So, if you look at this weekend's action, which is the pick of the games for you, Jonathan? Um, well, I'm 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 going to the um, the Norwich Manchester United game. I think that's a great matchup. Um, uh, really good quarter final, great tie. Um, so that's that's a good one. I mean, if it had, if it was with fans at Carrow Road, I think it'd be particularly spicy, but it'll still be good. Um, 
But there's a kind of almost forgotten Premier League game, which is Villa Wolves, and it's fascinating. I think I said here a week or two ago that I thought Wolves were the dark horses to to actually break into the the the, the Champions League spots, and and I've I've seen nothing to dissuade me from that since they came back. They've been very slick and impressive, and it's a big game for them. But Villa, by by claw, the way they clawed that point out against Newcastle. And, and the way that other teams um, like Bournemouth and West Ham haven't been able to get off the mark, it's, it's given them a bit of hope. So that, with all the ingredients of the Midlands um, rivalry as well, is a fantastic fixture. Um, so there's two really good Saturday games with the, with the Premier League teams. What about you, Gregor? Which one are you going for? Yeah, I think Villa Wolves is is looking very exciting. And also just... Adama Traore just seems to keep raising it up a, le- a level. He just set on a plate for Jimenez again for a goal uh, last night, and he's just—he looks unplayable. Really does. I kind of watch watch him play as a left back, former left back myself, and it just fills me with terror. And I think the—I also think that there's something in that yeah, Johnny alluded to there about technical footballers and technical teams. Being uh, having a bit more of an advantage now in this in this environment with no fans around, and I kind of I remember playing in uh, a couple you know, a couple of reserve games in an empty stadium when I was coming back from injury, and one one was against uh, Wayne Routledge when he was younger, and I just remember feeling that I felt I felt naked against them, like it felt it felt so so much when he got the ball in the wing and. He was running towards me. It felt different. It felt different to having there's some sort of adrenaline rush from the from the atmosphere around you and stuff. It felt like you were completely naked against them, and I just could not imagine playing against someone like Adama Traore when with empty stands. It would just be, I mean, be terror, ter- terrifying. I mean, even in that victory over over Bournemouth on Wednesday night, they they weren't at their best in the first half. So, Jonathan, even when Wolves are not at 100%, they still are able to, to grind out a result. As uh, I say grind out, obviously the second half was much better for them. They are an impressive unit, aren't they? Beautifully coached football team, really well put together with a, the top, top manager um, who are, yeah, got got such potency on the counter-attack that they can they can beat you in a second and they can defend as well. They can defend that, that, that lead. Um, a big thing for, I mean, Traor has been tremendous this season but I think maybe the biggest thing has been the further emergence of, of Raul Jimenez as as a real top um, top level striker who's, who's become a very reliable sort of goal provider and you, you put all that together they've got a, a you know a, a very they're very well managed psychologically by Nuno keeps a small squad keeps them keeps them tight and and and, and focused on, on on everyone's on the same page Um you know, I, I really like them. I really, I think the Wolves' story is, is is has been overlooked in terms of how you know, with all the kind of stuff about oh, George Mendes, blah blah blah, the agent, the Chinese ownership, blah blah. blah. The football side of it, how well it's been put together, how well it's been done, and how good some of those players are is sometimes ignored. So you mentioned that FA Cup quarterfinal on Saturday at Carrow Road between Norwich and, and Manchester United. Then on Sunday, the three other ties take place: Sheffield United host Arsenal, Manchester City go to Newcastle and it's Leicester against Chelsea. When you look at those FA Cup ties, who do you think it means most to, Gregor? 
if if you were to ask their supporters, it it has to be Newcastle after their record <laughs> and the fact they've yes. not been at this stage of the competition at any point under Mike Ashley's uh, ownership. Um, I mean, it's big for Arsenal too because their league campaign has completely fizzled out to to nothing really. Um, and Manchester City, I mean, uh, uh, they they have obviously have the Champions the Champions League to play for, but that's been put back till August. So you know, this is a competition that they really will be looking to go and and uh, and win it. And to be fair, I mean, you can make a case for any team because Leicester. You know, there's there's been this whole kind of narrative at Leicester about winning a trophy to honour uh, the, 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 their, their former owner who, who tragically passed. So, you know, that's a kind of there is a real desire within the changing room within that football club to do so, and they and they obviously went out at the the semi final stage of the of the League Cup. Um, so Leicester will be going all out for that as well. So, yeah, I mean, every team I've not mentioned Sheffield United. The fact that they're even at this stage of the competition is amazing, but they're they're they seem to be. We've spoken a lot about the how the consistency and the and their team selection and um, you know the the knowledge of their system by by the players that they 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 play almost every week week in week out apart from rotating a centre forward perhaps has been the bedrock of their their success this season and and now when there's a few players out injured and and they have to make a few changes I think you see the kind of the holes in that and the sort of how delicate the the uh, their success this season is so, yeah. I think that's obviously Arsenal having a tough time too. So they're they're all intriguing ties. Um, Newcastle mm. have had a really good a really good start since since the restart. Uh, so, yeah, fascinating weekend of football. I'm also off to just quickly. I'm off to uh, Stoke versus Middlesbrough to see Neil Warnock <gasps> come out of retirement wow. for what is it the 18th, 18th time there or something. <laughs> so um, yes, there's lots of stories around this weekend. Just very quickly then on that, on that game uh, between Stoke and, and, and Middlesbrough and that, in fact the job that Neil Warnock has, this is a huge job. They're only outside the relegation zone on goal difference. What do you think? Is he going to do it? Is he going to keep them up? I mean, you, you would not put it past them. He's, no. The, the, thi- the thing is, I'm, I'm actually surprised that Woodgate lasted this long. I think Jonathan Woodgate, who, who, who obviously is, was dismissed, um, that... Steve Gibson and Warnock referenced him when he when he returned. Sorry, when he when he arrived at Borough this week, you know he's he's got this reputation as one of the best owners in in English football. He's made some pretty bad decisions recently in terms of in terms of managers, uh, and kind of flip flopped a lot as well. He, Tony Pulis, and and it, you know he, he he didn't really have much money to spend because Gary Monk had, had blown about fifty million pounds after they were relegated from the Premier League. Uh, then he didn't quite make the playoffs, and then the the uh, they moved to kind of a focus on a shift to youth under Woodgate, who had worked in the academy, and now it's a shift back to to the wildy old fox and and Neil Warnock. So, I think at this stage of the season, probably there's no better man that they could have called upon. I think that they should have done it a little bit earlier, but I would not be surprised to see Boris stay up. Partly that is to do with the fact that Hull City are are so tragically awful at the moment. Hmm. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Jonathan as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Monday. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. (laughs) 